Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so glad you're here. And if you're out of town, we welcome you. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, that you've come to be a part of uh, our family this morning as we continue to celebrate Christmas here at First Baptist. I'll remind you about our trip to Israel coming up in the spring. Uh, so there's brochures in the back. There's only a limited number of people. Only 25 could go. So grab that, find out, sign up. A great Christmas present. Uh, if you want to give your parents something great for Christmas, send them to Israel. Just for 10 days. Okay, not for like forever. So yesterday was really interesting. I continue the cutting of trees on my property. Now, I'm not cutting just any trees. For you, you go, oh, he's cutting trees. No, it's okay. I'm cutting those nasty juniper trees. Are y'all with me? That right now are giving us the Christmas gift of the crud that's just blowing across the hill country. But I had one of those moments yesterday while I was cutting some of these smaller trees down and throwing them on the burn pile that I remembered my grandfather. And I remember my grandfather uh, taking us to get a Christmas tree off of his land. He had 660 acres. He was a dairy farmer. He had all this property, and he had what we called cedar trees, or that we call junipers, cedar trees, and they were our Christmas trees. And he would wait for us grandkids to come where he would go out and harvest that tree. And then, you know, it was amazing how my grandfather could always go to the perfect Christmas tree. Every time, get in his truck, boom, right there. Why? Because Papa had prepared a tree for his grandkids. He had been looking all year, probably watering it all year, cultivating it all year, trimming it all year, so it was just the perfect tree for his grandkids. And yesterday, as I was cutting down those trees, I was just caught up in those memories of the sweetness of being a grandfather. Of course, my little girls came yesterday, and and uh, we did not cut down a Christmas tree because Gigi has the most spectacular Christmas tree known to man, and it came in a box from Hobby Lobby. Anyway, <laughs> but I say all that to you to this. These memories we make with one another, they cascade from generation to generation. The greatest gift you have other than King Jesus is each other. It's the greatest gift. It's better than a fancy watch or a diamond necklace or whatever else that you might indulge on this year. It's the gift of each other. Relationships make life rich. So why don't you hug each other a little harder today, a little tighter today? Why don't you be more grateful to one another, be more joyful to one another, and in order to preserve that, stay away from the outlet mall, okay? That'll help you right there. <clears throat> so we continue this series, The Hope of Christmas, because all this year has been the year of hope. As we've talked about hope, what hope brings. And what is the pathway to hope? Now, I've asked you this question before, and we really never fully answer it because we answer it with the grandeur of sitting in this room, not in the reality of living where we live. Do y'all realize that this room is different from reality? Y'all realize that? You look around at these people, they ain't got their act together, y'all. We're just in this room together. And God is the one who's knitting us together to a family that we might be the hope of the world and our act may be together. But I asked you this question before, what would you do for God if you knew that it was him who asked? Now, I've heard it phrased this way. <clears throat> a pastor friend of mine used to ask it, in fact, he still asked it this way. He said, what would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? I used to ask it that way until I failed. 
doing what I thought was the will of God. Now, failure is not fatal with God. Did you know that? Nor is failure final with God. Did you know that? Just ask Peter who denied Jesus three times. Was that it for, G- for Peter? No. No. In fact, all of the disciples deserted Jesus. Was that it for them? No. Because it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But what would you do for God if you knew us? He would ask. And you say, well, I'd do anything. And I respond to you, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because God asks outrageous things. And he demands outrageous things. Now this week for me was kind of interesting because I had three talks to prepare and a funeral to do all this week. So that's four talks. That's a lot, right? To write. And so think of about four finals that you had to take in, in a, and four uh, essays you had to write. So I was, I was preparing. And uh, so I wrote next week's sermon pretty quickly. Boom, got it. First Thessalonians, y'all come. You go, it's going to be good. The beans are on the stove simmering. Christmas Eve. Tara gave me a great idea. I've taken that idea. And you got to be here. You come three times if you want to. I mean, somebody asked me, I was getting my hair cut this week, the three I have remaining. And, and this girl asked me, said, what time are your Christmas Eve services? I said, three, five, and seven. She goes, what time again? I said, sister, if you show up anytime after noon, we got church going on. So three, five, and seven tomorrow. So we're excited about that. But this talk was particularly difficult for me as I was thinking about the pathway of hope. Because today I decided <clears throat> that I was going to talk about Mary and Joseph. And, you know, normally when I say Mary and Joseph, your eyes glaze over, you nod off to sleep because you've heard it all before. But the profound nature and the humanity of these two overwhelmed me. What would you do for God if you knew there was him who asked? I don't think I could do what Joseph did. I don't think I could have taken a woman who was pregnant with a Somebody else's baby wasn't mine. It was somebody else's. Because I knew what it takes to have that baby and I didn't get to, I, I, uh, uh, it ain't mine. Just say it. I don't think Tara could have, do, could have done what Mary had done. Now, I heard a crazy college professor say this. You know, Mary had a Me Too movement because God impregnated her without her permission. Give me a break, people. Is there anything sacred? The answer is no. Stupidity has no bounds. And so I thought about this, the the power of this request for God, and that these two spent the rest of their lives under the shadow of illegitimacy. Now, over the last two weeks, I've read through the first four Gospels and, and was reading through them, reading the fact that Mary and Joseph had an illegitimate son. Everybody knew it. The scribes knew it. The Pharisees knew it. The people of Nazareth knew it. The people of Capernaum knew it. Everybody knew Jesus' questionable birth because every time you read, is it, was it he the son, quote unquote, of Joseph? Was it he, is it he the carpenter, dismissive language? And he lived their life. They lived their life under the shadow of the illegitimacy. Now, we look back at the hindsight of history 
and realize it was not an illegitimate birth, but a divine revelation, God in flesh. They didn't know that. And they lived with that shadow. This level of trust and obedience is beyond me. And if we got honest, if we pulled away the, uh, the scholarly and the academic, and we get down to the bare root of humanity, it's audacious. And you go, oh my gracious. I don't know if I could have walked this pathway of hope that these two trod. Maybe I can learn from them and their obedience. Maybe their story will inspire my story. And my story would make the audacious request of God to be normative. And I say yes to him before he asks. And so I I want to respond with wonder and obedience, not with doubt and speculation. You know, Mary's conceiving of Jesus was just a number of miracle births throughout Scripture. But one thing, her child was of, of God not of some miraculously opening of a womb as Mary, as, uh, as Mary knew about Abraham and Sarah, as Mary also knew about the, uh, the, the parents of Samson, and on and I could go, even her cousin Elizabeth. It was God. And I read all of this, and I'm overwhelmed by their pathway of hope. And so let's read their stories, and let's peel back the layers of their obedience and find this pathway of hope, and you'll discover it's the pathway to King Jesus. Are y'all ready for this? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're gonna say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me, that it's not my words or my thoughts or even the beginning of my words and my thoughts that will shape the lives and hearts of those who listen today, whether they be here or whether they're at home or wherever listening. So Father, I pray that you speak through me for your glory And I pray all of this in your son's strong name, amen. Now we're gonna look at two accounts. We're gonna look at the account of Mary and the account of Joseph, one found in Luke and one found in Matthew. Now, let me read for you. I'm gonna read Luke chapter one, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, look at me a second. This is where I got in trouble. Because I started researching all the virgin narratives throughout ancient history. You know what that's called? A waste of time. As I read about it, I'm not going to tell you. I'm I'm not going to do like last week. I'm not going to tell you about them. I'm not going to tell you that there's a virgin uh, birth story and Mesopotamian religion and Hinduism and Buddhism and Shintoism and all these other isms that this was not unusual. And let me say this, why it was not unusual to hear this. Listen to me, because Satan loves to counterfeit. He loves to distract you with something that may sound like the truth and deceive you into believing a lie. How do I know that? Eat this fruit. You won't die. You'll be a God. (laughs) The oldest lie in the book. To a virgin, 
named Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call him Jesus and he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord, and the Lord God will give you Give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and is in the sixth month with with her whom he, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said this, now get this, this is what Mary said. What? No, that's not what Mary said. She said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What? Uh, just go ahead, go ahead, Lord. Uh, what would you do for me? What would what, I do for you if I knew it was who you asked? I, I would conceive a son as a virgin and live with the shadow of illegitimacy all my life, facing the probability of being executed, facing the shame that would come to my family. I would do anything for you, God, that you ask. Do it to me according to your will. Wow. And we sing sweet little songs about Mary. And Mary, did you know, did Mary know that that was God eating her soup as she sat in the house in Nazareth? Was that Jesus was the toddler who toddled about and dumped everything out and put it back in and dumped everything out and put it back in? How do I know that? Because we have a toddler who does that, dumps everything out, puts everything back in. In the house of Gigi, with all kinds of hope dandy everywhere, dumping it out, putting it back in. Was that God? Did she ever have to tell Jesus, no? Did Jesus ever look at her and go, no? He looks at me sometimes and says, no. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, Matthew says. Now, you got to remember the two reasons the two authors wrote. They didn't know they were writing the Bible, y'all, when they wrote this. They were telling the story to us that down through the ages we might read. Matthew writing to the Jewish people showing how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. Luke writing to his friend Theophilus, also known friend of God, who is Greek, writing to the Greek world to tell them about Jesus. And you know, Luke went on to write Acts as well. And so we're gonna be looking all through Luke uh, in the first of the year, nine weeks through Luke. Then y'all, we're gonna do seven weeks in John looking at the miracles of Jesus out of John. And we're gonna look at the last miracle, the resurrection, all Easter. And then we're gonna go through the book of Acts. This is kind of cool next year. So Matthew writes this. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, in other words, before they were together sexually, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. okay. Joseph, wow. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man 
actually a righteous man. What does that mean, a righteous man? That he really loved the Lord and he followed the Lord. He was justified, get this, by his faith. By his faith, he was justified. How are you justified? By faith through grace. Mm. Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, he wasn't going to make a public spectacle of it. He wasn't going to have her executed like he could have and had his right to do. Even instead of pitching a fit, he said, I'm just going to like, okay, we're, we're done here. Go have this baby and God bless you and good luck. But as he considered these things, and this word consider is very interesting because it's the same word used that Mary pondered these things in her heart. As he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now I'm reading this, and I know over these last few days I've been drinking a lot of NyQuil, and NyQuil gives you crazy dreams. Was Joseph drinking NyQuil? Or some of that other stuff that us Baptists don't admit to drinking? Huh. And he gave this dream, and she shall bear a son, and she'll call him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, and that's in Isaiah 7, by the way, 14, in which, and when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not. And the word there in Greek, knew, is gnosos. That means an intimacy, a sexual relational intimacy. Knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, Mary had several other children, the half-brothers and sister of Jesus. They're mentioned in the Gospels. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, was a, one of the leaders of the ancient church and wrote the, the uh, epistle of James. So Joseph and Mary had a normal, quote-unquote, marriage. Is there any such thing as a normal marriage, y'all? No, there's not. And, and they, they lived their lives together with this profound mystery and this amazing birth. Joseph's not talked about much, and scholars believe that Joseph died before Jesus began his earthly ministry. We don't know, but we do know this. Regarding them is amazing. Now, reading this, this is so clean. It's so easy. You read it, you go, okay, yeah, cool. Mary's virgin, she's got baby Joseph. He said, cool, I'm, I'm good with that. And then they, they had this baby, and we sing you know, these songs and everything's clean and good. But the emotions and the doubt are not evident and the humanity is not displayed. And when we strip away all of this, we see two people just like us who are encountered by a great God who asked him to do an audacious thing. And here they were in the middle of their lives seeking to follow God and the powerful changing of history with God's revelation through his son. And I read this and I think, I want you to hear this. The revelation of God in your life 
surpasses any question of logic. This makes no sense. But in order for us to be saved, it had to be so. And God orchestrated this audacious, outrageous act with these two willing participants who laid everything on the line. What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? How did they know this was God who asked them? Because I know that's the question you have. I'd do anything for God as long as I knew, but how do I know it's God? Well, I want to give you four things that I want to show you from their life and from Scripture, how these four things lined up, four for four, and that gives us hope to realize that God is asking us to do some things four for four. God always reveals himself through Scripture, always. You say, well, Mary and Joseph didn't have a Bible. No, they didn't have a Bible. Now, according to some of us, now they had the Old Testament, it was written in, in scrolls and it was read and it was celebrated, and it was studied. In fact, y'all listen to this. A young man who would follow a rabbi would have the entire Old Testament memorized by the age of 13. What? That's why Jesus' disciples were fishermen and the others because they could not memorize the entire Old Testament. But I want to tell you something. Being with Jesus will trump being with any other rabbi. Jesus doesn't want you filled with knowledge alone. He wants you to be filled with his spirit, with the knowledge. And that's why he recruited Paul, who had the entire Old Testament memorized. You see, he revealed himself. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord, will, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Mary knew that passage. When Gabriel showed up, that's fairly impressive, by the way. And when he said these things, she said, oh, okay, that's scripture. Joseph heard these things. Being a just man, probably a very astute man, went, oh, okay. You see, because Mary and Joseph were righteous, they knew scripture. They knew the Old Testament. They recalled all the promises of God through the revelation of scripture. Emmanuel, God with us. They went back to the temple, to the tabernacle, where the tabernacle was called the Shekai, and that meant the Shekinah, the glory of God dwelling with us. You see, God had set them up for Jesus years ago by saying, build for me a tabernacle and I will live among you. Now I'm going to put on a tabernacle of flesh and live among you. And we beheld his glory, Shekinah, John says. He says it different in, in Greek, but in Hebrew it would be Shekinah. The Shekai, the tabernacle, the Shekinah, the glory of God. Emmanuel, the glory of God living with us. They knew that. They read that. There were some other things that, that, that was prophesied that they clicked in their mind. And I want to chase those rabbits for you. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, read this. This is the curse given to the serpent in the garden. And I will put enmity, enemy, <laughs> I read for a profession, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head 
and you will bruise his head. Now you, you read that and you go, okay, yeah, that's the curse. That's why we hate snakes. Why good, only good snake is a dead snake. Because some of you are, oh, don't kill the snake. Relax, I'm not using that. Here's the deal. Between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed, Mary knew how odd that was. Girls, no offense, but you don't have a seed. You have an egg. Men have a seed. Between her seed, her conception was not of man, and the Hebrew people knew it because the ancient writer Moses put her seed. Man played no part in the conception of Jesus other than the vessel of Mary. Wow. Can God do that? Yes. He can do anything. For nothing is impossible with God. He said that to Mary about Elizabeth who was barren. Mary knew this. She knew that she was a virgin. She knew. If anyone knew, Mary knew. Let me tell you how dismissive this was of Mary's virgin conception. Rumor spread throughout Nazareth that she was impregnated by a Roman soldier, which is even more heinous, that she was violated either unwillingly or perhaps even worse, willingly by a Roman soldier. And not only was this child she was carrying illegitimate, but he was also unclean as the fruit of a Gentile. Wow. But Mary knew and Joseph knew by scripture and the revelation of scripture. God reveals himself through scripture. So folks, if you're looking, say, is this God who's asking me? You got to go to his word. You got to go to his word. I can tell you time and time again, where Tara and I have been faced with decisions asking, is this God? Is this God? And we waited until scripture revealed itself to us. That's why it's important that you have a God time, a time with you and God in scripture. But God only, not only does that through scripture, he does it through circumstances. The circumstances of Mary and Joseph were crazy. First of all, they were engaged. They were already betrothed. God already selected them and their families already selected them to be married because their marriages were arranged that they, the circumstances of engagement were already set in place. That Mary was not some single girl unattached, but she had a man who was engaged to her. They were in the process of engagement and, and then they, they came together. This is not coincidental. This is God's orchestration. Also, look at their genealogy. Mary, Mary's family was from the house of Levi, which was the priestly family. Joseph's family was from the house of David, which is the kingly family. Jesus is our king and our high priest. Not coincidental. Why, how do I know that Mary's genealogy was from Levi? Because she had a cousin 
named Zechariah, who was a priest. Hello. Ain't hard to figure that out. Circumstances have lined up. When God lines up circumstances for you, I'll go back to January 21st of 2017. In my time with God that morning, I was praying. I said, God, I really need a people to lead. I need a place for my heart. And God reminded me, you know, the first time I called you, I called you to preach. Are you going to do what I called you to do? And I was consulting, helping churches all over the United States. That afternoon, a godly man named Wyatt Warren called me. He said, would you consider being our interim at First Baptist Wimberley? I said, yeah. He says, don't you need to pray about it? I said, I already did. Circumstances had lined up with the revelation of scripture. I could go on and on and on. I didn't know I was going to be your pastor. I didn't have that in my mind, but God did. God did. God reveals himself the third way, and I hope you're writing these things down, through prayer. Let me give you the other two in case you didn't write them down. Scripture and then circumstances. And the third thing is prayer. God reveals himself, get this, through the mystical invasion of your mind. In prayer, God brings an angel to Mary. In prayer, God releases a dream to Joseph. Joseph was considering these things. What was he doing? He was praying about these things. What should I do with Mary? What should I do with Mary? And God reveals himself through prayer. And he sends an angel in a dream. And God always does the miraculous and the mystical. You know, I, I did a lot of work uh, in Central Asia and for a number of years. And one of the things I've learned about Central Asia, that in Central Asia, God reveals himself to the Muslim people through dreams. Over and over and over, you hear, uh, I had nine pastors I was coaching. They were all Kazakh pastors <coughs> and coaching them. And I talked to them about their conversion. Every one of them said this, Jesus came to me in a dream. Every one of them. Jesus came to me in a dream because they had heard the gospel and the gospel had been exposed and God was working in their minds and he came to them in a dream. Very biblical. Look at all the dreams in scripture, how God has revealed himself. One of the latest ones was Paul. When Paul was trying to decide to go where to go next, and he received a dream of a man of Macedonia. Come over here and help us. Come over here and help us. Revealed in a dream that God is working. And this is what I pray often. I say, God, I really need to know what you want me to do. Would you just show me in a dream? Would you show me in a dream? The other night I dreamt I ate a five pound marshmallow and I woke up, my pillow was missing. <laughs> God, that's terrible. God reveals himself in dreams, in dreams. And the God, here's the last thing. God always will reveal himself through other believers. The testimony of other believers. That they'll confirm what God is doing. Or they'll say what God is doing. How do I know this with Mary and Joseph? Listen to this. Now at this time, Mary rose and went to hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zechariah and, gre and greeted Elizabeth. Now why in the world would she go to Elizabeth? Because the angel said, your cousin Elizabeth's pregnant too. Ain't nothing like a pregnant woman to talk to another pregnant woman, right? Yeah, don't talk to a man. We know nothing about it. 
In fact, this is what I realized. When Tara told me she was pregnant, I didn't believe her until that baby came out. I went, well, dead gum, she was pregnant. <laughs> Guys, don't look at me. You know, y'all, y'all did the same thing. Oh, it's real. Okay. When, Mes- when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. And Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice saying, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. I mean, if Mary was doubting after an angel's visit and she shows up at Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth has this, I mean, Mary's like, okay, we're good to go now. Because all four things had lined up. Scripture, circumstances, prayer, and now the the testimony of other believers. What would you do for God if you knew us? He would ask, y'all look, God goes four for four. God goes four for four. When you're facing the decisions of your life, look for these four revelations of God. Don't go by your gut, go by your God. Go by your God. And these two, Mary and Joseph, they responded in faith, displayed by their obedience. Faith is displayed by obeying. Let me translate that for you to Texas. Talk is cheap. You know, you've heard the statement, this old boy's all hat and no cattle. That you have to put your faith into action through obedience. Listen to this statement. I want you to write this down. I want you to ponder this. The will of God is often revealed in the hindsight of obedience. Very rarely do I enter into a decision or a process that I go, I know this is God, I'm gonna go for it, I'm absolutely positive this is God, and I step into it and I have great faith. Yo, that ain't me. Usually I'm going, it's what I'm doing, because I don't know. But here, when I look back, I go, oh, that was God. Look at that, woo, woo, God moved, woo. Because I'm dumb. But what if I know and I move? And God displays. And I want to tell you something, y'all. Usually when I'm facing a decision about a direction or or a gift or something, and I'm praying about this and I'm trying to decide, I'm talking to Tara and we're kind of conferring together, I go by the 80% rule. If 80% of it looks like it's God, I'm going for it. Because I want to leave God the 20% because I am a perverted, wicked degenerate who needs Jesus. Are y'all with me? I'm glad a few of y'all started agreeing because I was going to start naming names. <laughs> but you go with confidence knowing that God. Now get this. I always lay out God plans for God. Do y'all ever do that? Or am I the only one that does it? Now God, if you'll do this, this, and this, and this, and if you just work this way and do that, and, and I have these great plans for God. God don't need my plans. And he very rarely does things according to my agenda. He always does things according to his agenda and his timing. Is that helpful at all? 
I guess not. Was that helpful at all? And God reveals himself and they live their whole lives trusting that what was revealed to them was in fact God. Now reading through the narratives again this week, (coughs) this would jumped out at me. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Throughout her life, she was pondering. I got this angel. I had this baby. Shepherds showed up. Wise men showed up. Angels in the sky. I'm putting these in my heart. I'm watching this kid grow up and watching her crazy cousin, John. Woo! You talk about a kid, ADD, John. And, and I'm watching all of this. And, and then I'm watching him heal the blind and touch the leper and cure the lame and and speak and demons leave and raise the dead. I'm watching all this and I'm pondering this in my heart. Then I watch him go to the cross. And then the revelation of God was complete when the grave was empty and she beheld her risen son. Mary was not the mother of God. Mary was the vessel of God. And you were no different. I said this to Tara. I said, I think this, that Mary didn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was in all this until Jesus walked out of the grave. And she says, no, you're wrong. Mary's a mom and Mary's a woman. And Mary knew those things because she's a mom and she's a woman. She's not a man who, doesn't, who misses the obvious. Oh, well, well, you probably have a point there. But I know this. When I choose to obey him, I move forward in faith, trusting him. And it's often revealed as I obey him, that was God. And he's faithful. And he's good. And he is our deliverer. Because they believed him, because they obeyed, they found their hope in the Lord. Will you? What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? The one who has my commandments, who has my commandments, who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me would be loved by my father. And I also will love him, get this, and reveal myself to him. Do you want to experience Jesus? you want to experience hope, then obey him. Obey him. So what about you? What would you do for God if you knew it was him who asked? Would you connect with God through Jesus Christ because he's asking? Would you connect through the local church and be part of a family because he's asking? Are you going to choose to live your life as a spiritual orphan and be in disobedience? Would you choose to grow in Christ-like character, giving of your resources? And some people say, well, I don't hear from God because you're not obeying God. He reveal yourself to him when you obey him. You know, your salvation is not tied to your obedience. Did you know that? Your salvation is tied to God's movement by grace through faith. But your development into Christ-likeness is developed by the obedience. Some of us remain spiritual children, brats, because we refuse to obey. 
Would you serve God by serving others? Or are you going to sit sour, soak, and stink? And complain about, they didn't sing my favorite Christmas song. They didn't sing Silent Night. Well, come tomorrow and we'll sing Silent Night. Light them dadgum candles. Burn this place down. Hopefully I'm kidding about the last part. Okay. <clears throat> would you share the love of God in word and deed? What would you do for God who wouldn't ask? Now, I wrote this down. Are you stuck? Listen to this. God will not give you a new revelation while the old revelation is not being obeyed. Now, Amber, my assistant, and Tara, my wife, they both knew I was struggling with this talk, writing this down. And Amber came into my office and she said, are you stuck? And I said, yeah. She said, it's Tuesday. I got to have an outline. I said, just settle down, sister. It's coming. But then I wrote that down. I said, let me read this to you. She goes, that's good. You need to say that to people. Because some of you are looking for a new revelation from God and you haven't obeyed the old one. I don't know. Got to take that to Jesus. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Yesterday, the two little girls were here at my house. And Kayla said, I'm going to count to three. When do kids move? After three. After three. I think God says, I'm going to count to three. Y'all listen, you go, one, you know, two, three. Then he whoops you. You go, why'd you whoop me? I counted to three. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You say, well, God doesn't whoop us. You read Hebrews chapter, 5, uh, chapter 12, verses 15 and following. Uh, actually, uh, chapter, just read chapter 12. Just read the whole thing. It'll be good for you. Are you willing then to trust God and obey him? You see, your pathway to hope is finding your pathway through obedience. And your pathway to hope is by giving yourself to King Jesus. Outside of that, you are hopeless. You are hopeless.